Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. Uh, today, it's episode number 177. It's Friday, folks. Happy Friday to y'all. It's um, October 16th. And and just so much going on in the world. You know, I was flipping stations last night between two town halls, one for President Trump, one for Vice President Biden. And then I was watching the baseball games. And so I'm going to integrate a lot of that into my podcast today. Um, I'm titling this one Money, Time and Clayton Kershaw. So we're going to get into a lot of that, but just a lot going on in the world today. And I, I always thank you very much for joining me here on this live stream. You know, we do it every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at two o'clock. We're live streaming on Facebook and on YouTube. You just got to look up John Riley Project and, and you can join us. We'll take your comments and questions. Just type them in into the comment section. I'll see them. They'll pop up on my screen and let's have a little bit of a dialogue. Let's have a little fun on a Friday and um, let me know your thoughts on a lot of things. You know, we talk about national issues, regional issues. Sometimes we get super uh, focused on local issues here in San Diego, North County, Inland. You know, I'm, I broadcast as I always do from Poway, California, 92064. So we're always talking about Poway stuff and Rancho Bernardo stuff. Um, but today, I got a, just kind of a mixture of things. So it's it's going to be kind of a freelance Friday. Um, still recovering from my dental appointment yesterday. So uh, I my family goes over to Bernardo Dental Care. Uh, it's right there off of Bernardo Center Drive. And uh, generally, those folks are really good, and they've always treated us well. But my God, I've had so many trouble, so much trouble with dental my whole life. Um, when I was at the dentist's office, I asked them to count how many crowns I had. I have eight. Um, I had uh, braces when I was in my 40s. I had two dental surgeries around that. It's just unbelievable. So I had another dental appointment last night or yesterday, and I was recovering most of the evening and, and into the morning, but I'm finally feeling better. Um, and uh, I'm following through on what I said I was going to do. I actually filled out my ballot. It's right here. And um, I'm not going to wait and, you know, and, and go in and vote in person this year. I usually always do that. I get sort of a weird thrill out of doing that every year, uh, going to my polling location. But what's weird is they keep changing our polling location, keeps moving further and further away from my home. But today I'm actually going to go down to visit my buddy Dennis, who runs the postal annex right next door to the Target in Poway. And he's got an official registrar of voters person in the postal annex with an official registrar of voters ballot drop box. Um, so it's like it's like one of the official locations that the registrar of voters has listed. So I'm going to go in today. I'm going to drop this ballot off. And I've already told you about my uh, my positions on all the propositions and I voted for the candidates. And so I'm just done. I just want to get it over with and be done with it. So my wife and I, we actually went through the ballot together and, and figured it all out last night. Um, and uh, yeah, but when I visit uh, when I visit Dennis over at Post Atlantic, he's a big Dodger fan. So I'm sure he's feeling a little bit of pain. So I got to go over there and poke him a little bit. I still owe him lunch because I took the Padres against the Dodgers in the second round. But um, he's a good guy. If you ever get a chance, go visit Dennis at Post Atlantic. He's just a fun guy. 
He has a great business, um, kind of that utility shop for your business with doing uh, travel passports and copies and mailings. And he does all the Amazon shipments there. The guy's a really great guy. But he's a huge sports fan. But be forewarned, he likes all the L.A. teams, you know, the Dodgers, the Rams, the Lakers. So you'll have to. You know, you have to razz him for that. So he's a good guy, Dennis. Um, I'm really happy. I actually, um, just a few hours ago, um, I, I got a phone call from Barry Leonard, who Barry is one of our city councilmen, and he will be joining us um, on a podcast episode on Monday. So that will be Monday the 19th at 2 o'clock. So uh, for those of you that are here in the city of Poway, um, I welcome you uh, to join us. And, you know, we've had all, I think just about every candidate um, that's running in Poway, maybe with the exception of Steve Voss, who's running for supervisor. Um, but with Barry Leonard joining us, we'll have both Barry and Phil Factor. And Phil's been on twice. And then we'll, in the other race, we had um, Kalen Frank on, and we had Chris Olps on, and we had Frank Fournier on. So we got all of those folks that are running. They were on the podcast. And then we have both of the school board candidates in Poway, um, uh, Cindy Seitzma and Jimmy Karam. So I'm really happy that they're all joining us here, and I hope you get a chance to learn from them. And, of course, we'll be taking your questions Monday at 2 uh, if you've got some uh, questions or comments for Barry Leonard. So uh, really looking forward to that as well. That'll be really good. Um. But I, I just want to share this. It's a really great story. And one of the benefits of doing this podcast, one of the things that I really enjoy is I've got a chance to meet a lot of really great people, people that I otherwise never would have had a chance to meet. You know, and I a lot of the political candidates, but just a lot of folks in Poway, they contact me and they send me messages and they say, hey, good job. Love what you're doing. They're supporting me. Um, some of them are, are friends that I know, but there's a lot of people that I've never met before that have come forward and had appreciated what I'm doing. And, and that really makes me feel good about it. Um, but in some cases, I've gone out to lunch with some of the listeners, and I had an opportunity to do that yesterday um, with a gentleman. And um, I'm not going to say his name and everything because I, I think he's going to be a guest on the podcast uh, shortly. So I don't want to give it all away. But um, we just had a really wonderful time. And you know, we went down to what is it called? Joy's um, Dumpling House. It's kind of there, you know. Near the intersection of Poway Road and Pomerado Road, it's a new restaurant. It's a Chinese dumplings and and these um, what do they call them? Uh, Chinese uh, they're buns. They're kind of like a thicker dumpling. It was really really good. And um, so, anyways, while I was there, um, you know, we just had a really great conversation you know, about the podcast and and also just about economics. And we we just had and talked about Poway issues. It was really a lot of fun, um, but. What was interesting in the conversation, and we talked a little bit about this idea of earning money versus making money. Um, and uh, anyway, his name is Alex. So <laughs> Alex, he'll, he'll be joining us soon. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But at any rate, um, we talked a little bit about earning money versus making money. And it was just a really interesting discussion because in my podcast, I like to talk about entrepreneurship. I like to talk about economics. And this really is a great topic. So I'm sure when he joins us on the podcast episode, we'll go deep into it. But 
the whole idea of like earning money, you know, was really when you're out there and you got a wage or you're getting paid by the hour, you're getting paid a salary and you're basically trading your time for money. But making money is a very different concept. Right. And in one in one category, it could be simply just having investments and and investing in companies and seeing those portfolios grow. Um, but in other cases, it's buying low and selling high. And it doesn't necessarily need to be stocks. It could be you could be a retailer where you're buying at a wholesale price and selling it at a retail price. Um, you know, there's a lot of examples of that where entrepreneurs are literally making money um, in terms of by buying and selling product. And, and I think this is a really great concept for people to get their minds wrapped around because so often, you know, we're, we're so many people just think in terms of earning money in, in terms of wages and salaries. But I know for me that I, I I actually incorporated myself. I have an S corporation and this has allowed me to have the ability to do both earning money and making money all at the same time. And, you know, in some cases I'm doing consulting work with clients where I get paid hourly. In other cases, I'm buying and selling products. Um, and I do a lot of that, particularly with databases. Um, I, I'm a list broker is one of the things that I do. Um, I buy and sell like building permit data and new homeowner data and make that available to my clients. And I provide services for them, all kinds of marketing solutions that frankly often use that data. Um, But at any rate, I'm able to diversify, earn money on a wage, earn money by buying and selling product. But then, you know, in, in other cases, I'm also getting paid for a lot of project work that I do where it's a flat fee or a price per unit, you know, in terms of the things that I'm putting together for some of my clients. And so it's, I've been personally rewarded by this whole concept of embracing the idea of making money. Um, um, But I've learned so much about it. And and I really want to share some of that with you because, um, you know, you kind of look back in your childhood and some of the lessons that we've had as children around money and, and maybe sometimes your parents were really good with money or really not good with money. And maybe you had mentors that have taught you lessons about money. I mean, it's kind of a shame that a lot of this really isn't taught in our school system. You know, simple things like, I, I guess, balancing your checkbook, which kind of how applicable is that today when so many of us have not only online banking, but a lot of people doing, you know, quick in and other electronic forms of a checkbook. Um, but the whole concept of just personal money management, personal money um, investment, and the whole concept of it. And I think a big lesson that I had as a child and that, excuse me, a big lesson I've had as an adult that I didn't really understand as a child is you always heard the case about, yeah, you need to save for a rainy day. And um, the whole idea of, yeah, you need to invest your money. And I I understood the idea of saving when I was a kid. The idea of investment was completely off my radar as as a child, as a a student in high school and even in college, because my family was very much a blue collar paycheck to paycheck kind of family. The concept of investing money in in um, in mutual funds or stocks or anything like that, just completely a foreign concept in my, my upbringing. Um, so it wasn't a, a, a thing for me. Um, what, you know, what, what was interesting for me, the thing that I've learned is, is not necessarily 
how powerful it is to save money, which is obvious. And it's not so, um, you know, it's, it's obvious that, you know, investing money and taking advantage of compound interest and taking advantage of opportunities to grow your portfolio and build wealth, that makes a great deal of sense, obviously. But there's this concept that was introduced to me and I really kind of quote unquote got it, not until maybe a couple of years ago. And it's the whole idea that that you know we're talking about money and you know accumulation of money, earning money, making money, building wealth, but really it's about time more so than money. And you'll hear people say, "Yeah, time is money," and sometimes that's said so flippantly you don't really go deeper to understand that. And there's a podcaster that I listen to quite a bit and his name's Jason Stapleton. And he's really good about this kind of thing. And he's a, he's a very creative guy. Uh, He's one of my inspirations for the podcast that I do. And his whole concept of going about his life is that he wants to be a net buyer of time rather than a net seller of time. And the, a, a person who sells their time is a person who, as I said earlier, earns money. A person who sells their time uh, for a hourly wage or for a salary. And he, he jokingly refers to people like that as, as sort of time prostitutes. You know, they're, they're trading their time for money. And so they become effectively net sellers of their time. But on the other hand, um, he likes to think of himself as a buyer of time. And this was a really interesting concept because at, at, a, at a very simplistic level, he says, I don't want to do anything that I don't enjoy doing. And for his business, he says, I hate doing bookkeeping. So I outsource it to an accountant. I pay them and I buy their time to do the work that I don't want to do. I'm like, okay. And like I outsource to a bookkeeper as well, but I do that because I know that's something I'm not very good at. And I don't want to, I want to spend more of my time on my business, but I never thought of it in terms of I was buying their time. And I went, ah, and then he goes a step further. He says, I'm, I, I'm willing to, uh, he's number one. He's, I don't ever want to wait in a line because I don't want to waste my time. I will pay extra to get a premium so I can get in the front of the line. I'm like, okay. I'm understanding this a little bit more. And, but he gets to the point where the whole objective um, in life it, it, from this time and money perspective is to have accumulated so much money that you can buy time for yourself. And, you know, we talk a lot about individual liberty um, here on the podcast, but typically within the context of political liberty, you know, uh, absence of coercion from government. But in terms of economic liberty, financial liberty, obviously the accumulation of wealth gives you the opportunity to buy time so you don't have to work, right? So that you can spend your own time doing what you want to do. And so, this is an area that I, I just want to go a lot deeper with. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm only going to kind of touch a little bit here on the podcast, but there's just things you learn as you go, you know, and I think maybe in your life, maybe you've had family members or parents or thing, people that have taught you these sorts of things. Um, I know that when I was raised, um, what I always witnessed is that the minute money came in the door, it was spent. And Often it was spent on things that were necessary to live, but a lot of times it was just 
wasted, you know? So it was funny as I was going through, um, uh, you know, sharing a, a story with one of my friends um, up in San Francisco. And we were we were talking about cars and my childhood. If you go back in time and I've talked a little bit about it in the podcast, my childhood there's really two halves to it. You know, my my father was was killed. My mother was pregnant with me. So I was raised as a single child. Um, by my mom. Um, and then, you know, single mom, her and money. And then my grandmother and my aunt who was in high school at the time lived with us as well. And the first half of my childhood, probably up until about, you know, from zero to fourth grade, that was the situation. But then from fourth grade through the end of high school, my mother had remarried and everything changed, you know, when, when that went, when that happened. And I, I was, when I was talking with my friend in San Francisco about cars, I know the first half of my childhood, we had two cars. We had one car. It was this old, like Chevy, green Chevy. I don't know, it was an Impala or something. It was one of those ones, like a four door with a big back seat. And I remember being in that back seat, like sitting next to my aunt, listening to the radio late at night when we were going visiting some relatives or something and listening to um, up, up and away in my beautiful balloon. And I remember like when I was like six years old, I, I still have memories of that. Um, and then I remember, like, I think it was in the first grade that my mother, I think might've gotten rid of that car, gave it to my grandmother. And then she bought a used Toyota Corolla. And those are the only cars that existed in my, my lifetime up until the fourth grade. But then when my stepfather entered the picture, suddenly we had all this going on. You know, there were two semi trucks. I mean, like 18 wheelers, but without the, um, but without the trailer, you know, we had two of those. We had multiple pickup trucks and cars that were, we had a Mustang two and, um, we had a camper that was never used and a Toyota Corolla stick shift, which is what I learned to drive. And then I eventually got my own van that I bought from my uncle. Um, I think for $500 back around 1981, um, and fixed that up and there was just and then we had like more mo motorcycles and i mean it was just this unending number of vehicles that came in and out of our life but in a lot of cases it was examples of as a family i recognize i know recognize now that the we were spending money as fast as it came in um we weren't saving we weren't investing and certainly the whole concept of using money to buy time was completely a concept that was unknown really to my family and to me until I became an adult. But th these are just, I think are just really interesting things to learn about. Um, I, I know speaking for myself, when I talk a little bit about politics, when I talk a little bit about Poway Unified School District, which I've commented on extensively in this podcast, I often comment about financial issues um, specifically the billion dollar bond with Poway Unified and, and their deficit spending, even during good economic times, their lack of fiscal responsibility. Um, I think to a large degree, some of that is projection from my childhood because I know that my financial situation as a child was extraordinarily volatile and, um, and I've only begun to learn to manage that as an adult. Um, I've learned a great number of lessons as an adult, and I'm fortunate that I've had the opportunity to teach a lot of that to my children. Um, my daughter, um, she's 23. She's an accountant. 
Um, she just actually finished uh, passing her fourth CPA test. So, uh, you know, you have to take four of those to be a California CPA. Um, she passed the fourth one and now she's going to, she's already applied. She's just waiting to get the license in the mail. I think that's going to take a few months. She's an accountant, which is wonderful. So I know that I can always count on her to manage her money intelligently. And I'm teaching the same lessons, the, the things that I've learned on my son. But I know that for me, those are lessons I wish I would have learned as a child. And I think about this podcast and, you know, people ask me, why are you doing this podcast? And I was talking to Barry earlier today and he goes, what's your end game? What are you trying to do? And, you know, when I started this podcast, it was all about um, the conversation. And I enjoyed the discussion with the political candidates and we learned about their platforms and you know, we learned about what makes them tick and we got a deeper understanding of our local political candidates. To me, that's really fascinating, rewarding. And I think the audience, all of you in the audience, I think a lot of you enjoyed those because we got a better understanding of each of these political candidates and it helped people make better voting decisions. But as I've gotten into this podcast, I'm realizing that I think there's an opportunity where this can be monetized. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but I, what I do know is that I'm going to have to come up with my own sets of products and services that I'm going to have to sell as part of this project. And that's why it's called John Riley Project and not John Riley Podcast. The podcast is just one element of the project. So um, the whole idea of writing a book someday is now becoming more and more clear in my head that this is something that I can do and I should do. And I think a lot of my lessons about money is going to be one of those chapters. And this, this concept of earning money versus making money, the, the things that I've experienced as a child, as a young adult, and as a, um, as a spouse and a parent, um, I have, dramatically evolved um, financially with my own skills, my own behavior. I mean, it's been an incredible transformation that I've gone through and I want to share a lot of those lessons. And I think I have an opportunity to do that in a book. And, you know, one of the things that I've been commenting about frequently in this podcast is how I'm going through the whole idea of less is more addition by subtraction. Um, and I just got a comment here on the live stream, Dave Grush, a councilman here in Poway, uh, and he asked me to give him a call. So maybe Dave wants to be a guest on the podcast. We'll see. Uh, but thank you, Dave. For I'll, I'll give you a call this afternoon um, when, I'm, when I'm done with the live stream with all you folks. So um, I'm going through this major process, and I talked about it in previous episodes, addition by subtraction. And... I look around my house and I in my garage and my shed and all the crap that I've accumulated over the years. And it's amazing how much stuff there is. And I've been just consistently working my way through that stuff, um, going through old business paperwork and recycling and shredding and, and, and in some cases, throwing things away, going through old technology and giving it away for electronic waste. I've been um, selling some of my musical equipment that I'm no longer using, uh, giving away tools that I'd never use. Um, I've been going through this massive process of eliminating things, going through my closet and seeing clothes that I haven't worn in 10 years, 
deleting, moving them on. Some, in some cases, clothes that still have a tag on them that I've never worn, but I've clung on, I've cling, clung, clinged. What's the word? I've clung on to them because they've either been a gift that I didn't feel comfortable giving away, or maybe it was a shirt that, you know, after I gained a little bit of weight, I couldn't fit into it. And I felt guilty about that. And I kept the shirt. I've been going through and just purging that. And I'm just learning that all of this stuff is so unnecessary. And in a lot of cases, it's just wasteful money. It's money being spent on things that really could instead be used to be spent on time. Um, Money that could be spent to save for the future when I'm retired, that I can live a comfortable life. Or in other cases, money that can be spent on time today to enjoy some amazing adventures and things that would make my life a lot more rewarding than all of this stuff. So again, this is all so all still part of it is the idea that, that time is a, is a commodity that can be purchased. And when people say time is money, it's often said flippantly, like when you're wasting time, you're wasting money. And okay, but the idea that you can sell your time makes sense. But the idea you can buy someone else's time so that it buys you the flexibility, the liberty, the freedom to not be burdened with certain things is just an amazing concept that, um, again, I'm going to explore it more deeply. And, uh, I, I welcome your thoughts. I mean, we're doing this live stream. Maybe there are things that you've learned about finances. I'm just kind of spitballing as I go here, but I've just learned so much and I continue to learn. And I was just, you know, really enjoyed the opportunity to go out to lunch with one of my, my viewers yesterday. And we had a great conversation, um, talking about the whole notion of earning money versus, um, you know, versus making money. And it was fabulous. I just, again, I just love what this podcast is so wonderful. I've met so many great people. Um, and I'm thankful for that. I'm very, I I have a great deal of gratitude for that. But I, I, the other thing that came up in our conversation yesterday, which I think is important to mention is, you know, so many people can be so down on what's going on around us. You know, the, the COVID crisis and we've got the chaos with the presidential election. And, you know, th- there's a lot of noise. And I've talked about that where there, there's a lot of negativity, negative energy. But if you're able to disconnect from that, there's still so much opportunity. It's out there. It's unbelievable how much opportunity is available today than existed 10, 20, 30 years ago. You know, we were talking about the whole concept of, you know, writing a book, which I'm telling you, this is something that I'd like to do. We can self-publish today. You know, you don't have to go to, you know, some major book publisher and beg and plead and hope they want to sign you. You can write your own book You and you can, you can go to Kindle or Amazon and, and they'll print it and bind it and, and you can self-publish. In fact, a lot of my other guests that have been on this podcast, that's exactly what they did. Guys like Mike Ryan, guys like Steve Dow, um, they self-published. Um, and, and there are people that are out there, editors and proofreaders that are all freelancers that are available to help you. Um, the internet has created such massive opportunity for people to get out there, to, to be an entrepreneur, to sell products and to sell your services, to, 
take advantage of opportunities where you can not only earn money, but you can make money that exists on the internet. But sometimes we get so stuck into thinking about the job opportunities exist and why aren't these jobs available? And I often wondered if if we really need a change in mindset because today, uh, the, the economy is so volatile, right? The whole concept, like our parents, you can work for one company for 40 years and be a lifer and then retire on a pension with one company. I mean, those are, those are days of, of long ago. They don't exist anymore. Um, companies will, will start and go out of business. Companies will have layoffs and reductions in force and people are scattered. You know, it's a big reason why we have a healthcare problem because this healthcare system is everything's linked to your employment. (laughs) And so when the, the economy and the job market's so volatile, people get connected and disconnected with their insurance. And that's why we have the pre-existing condition problem. It's a challenge. It's tough, but that's the reality. That's what it's going to be moving forward. And so I've, I always continue to embrace this concept of being an independent contractor. It's what I do and, and it's what I've lived. And I'll tell you what, I, I have earned a tremendous amount more money. I have earned a tremendous amount more skills, a tremendous amount of more self-esteem by being in business for myself, um, by being self-employed. Um, my S corporation, um, I've had, you know, I think I had maximum. I think I had was eight employees. Now I have two. Um, and I've been as low as one. (laughs) And so, and it's varied over time. Um, but during that whole time, I was able to never be, how should I say sort of, um, you know, dependent on quote unquote, the man, right? I was never solely dependent on one company, solely dependent on a boss that I hated, solely dependent on a single source of income. Um, I've been able to open up a wide number of channels of income with across a spectrum of different clients and customers uh, for various types of work that I do. Like I said, consulting work on an hourly basis, project work for a flat fee um, or a per unit basis. And then in other cases, um, I'm buying product and selling product. And I just, I can't encourage this enough Uh, this concept more for young people. Again, these are things I wish I were taught as a young person that there is an incredible amount of opportunity that's available to us, especially if we embrace the idea of entrepreneurism, because not everybody is going to be, you know, a brain surgeon, you know, not everyone is going to be an attorney. You've got to have unique skills. Um, you've got to go and put in a tremendous amount of time in education. And that costs a lot of money. And a lot of people just can't do that for any number of reasons, but being in business for yourself is so empowering. I mean, look at, look at me right now. I'm I'm doing a podcast right now at two o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I mean, how many people that have a day job can do this? Um, I'm able to flexibly move my, my schedule around the morning. I was doing consulting work this afternoon. I'm doing this podcast with you. And then later this afternoon and into the early evening, I'll be doing some work for one of my other clients. 
I can creatively manage my schedule. I can creatively balance my work life situation. It's unbelievably powerful. And this is a big reason why, what was the proposition? Was it 22? I think the one about the independent contractors and Uber, um, Chris Olps and I talked a little bit about this in the podcast. Was it Monday? And Chris Olps was very much supportive you know, Chris Olps is a candidate here and for Poway City Council, and um, he was very supportive of preventing Uber and Lyft and DoorDash from engaging with their drivers as independent contractors. He wanted them to be forced to be employees. And I understand why. I mean, people want to make sure they have the benefits and the rights of employees. And he was concerned that workers at Taco Bell might be transformed into independent contractors. I understand that line of argument, but I just know for me as an independent contractor, I have learned so much. I have earned so much. I have so much control over my life. It is unbelievably empowering. And I wish the whole idea of an Uber driver. Now, granted, I've never driven for Uber and I know they, the, you know, the system may not be ideal for them. I know they have downtime, idle time. They're putting miles on their car and that has an expense to it. I get that. But a lot of Uber drivers don't necessarily do that for a living. They do it as a side hustle. They do it to create an additional channel of income to supplement what they're doing on their day job. To me, that's a good thing. Um, if you have an opportunity where you need to go out and make more money, you can. Again, these ideas, these concepts 30, 40 years ago didn't exist. If you wanted to get, you know, an additional job that was flexible based on your own terms that you can decide on a Saturday night, I'm going to go earn some money. You couldn't really do that, you know, back in the 80s and 90s. Technology has given us that opportunity. So that's why I hate to see it shut down. I just think the idea of the mindset of being an independent contractor is extremely valuable. And even in the Uber world, I know you're not going to be a millionaire driving for Uber. I get that. Um, but when you put yourself into that mindset, you begin thinking more creatively. You begin thinking about what are things that I can do differently to out hustle other people? Are there solutions that I can offer that other people aren't offering? Are there innovations and new ways of doing business that other people are not doing and capitalize on those? Uh, to me, that is unbelievably powerful. And that mindset is the kind of thing that can help people be lifted out of poverty. So they're not dependent on a minimum wage job. But it, it's always it's always upsetting to me that when we see cases where that entrepreneurship, that flexibility, that ability to take control over your your um, income, your revenue streams and to do business as you wish is being taken away. Um, so that's why I'm a big supporter of the independent contractor concept in general and then why I'm definitely supportive of it for the, our friends that drive for Uber and Lyft and DoorDash. And frankly, as a customer, I enjoy that too. Um, it's helpful for me as a customer. It's total win-win. I mean, and that's what a lot of this comes down to is, and this is another concept that, again, I wish I knew when I was a kid, is economics is all about win-win. I mean, well, not economics, I'm going to say more, more narrowly, seeking prosperity is all about win-win. You help them, they help you. 
Um, it's all about win-win relationships. And so many times, a lot of people get really hung up on the win-lose, you know, where, oh, those companies are just out there to screw other people. And yes, yeah, some of that happens. There's a system, there's a mechanism to manage that, you know, where when fraud exists, you know, there's, there's legitimate reasons for government to intercede and to hold people accountable when businesses are harming others. But in a lot of ways, the marketplace takes care of a lot of that, too. When businesses screw over people, a lot of other people stop doing business with them. And I know that's been true with me. I've learned lessons from others that have had bad experiences with certain companies, and I don't do business with them because I know what other people have experienced. But I think the whole mindset of approaching approaching career, approaching the ability to either earn or make money is all about win-win. And the beauty of it is, is that it's also consistent with our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is what I always talk about on this podcast. The podcast, that's my higher ideal, my higher purpose. If we have an inalienable right to our own life, that means we can control our own life. We have the ability to manage our own life. We're not the subject of a king or a lord or a dictator. We own ourselves. You own you. I own me. And if you are in charge of your life, you should be able to pursue all of these other opportunities. But in cases like this, the California government is preventing people from being an independent contractor in some of these cases. And if we have liberty, we have the liberty to choose uh, to live our life as we wish and to pursue our own happiness, to live our life according to our own values. The whole concept of win-win is completely consistent with that. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's something that I think I wish was taught more that we understood that, you know, right now the, 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 the common talking points about capitalism are about the negatives, um, about how capitalism is bad, how capitalism is damaging the, the country, damaging people, damaging the environment. Um, capitalism is blamed for so much. But I don't think people really understand what capitalism really is about. Capitalism is about private property, and it's about people making choices in a free market. It's about private profits and private property. But all of the damages that we're seeing, you know, whether they are damages in, um, in climate or damages in the economy or damages that people experience are rarely blame, blame, could be blamed on capitalism. They're typically blamed on bad actors that make bad decisions that harm others where they're not held accountable. And so, and, and held accountable either by the market or by the government. And so we're, we, we see cases where people, um, where people are, when they're damaging others, they're preventing the marketplace from being free. And a lot of this is when they're able to secure the power of government and use government as their tool to oppress others. And we see a lot of that. And, and, uh, and that kind of mechanism where people are rigging the game and using government as their tool to do it, they call that capitalism. But it's not. It's cronyism. It's corporatism. It's not capitalism. Because when they're rigging the government to 
change the rules to bail out people, to prevent people from working freely in the economy, like these Uber independent contractors, that's not free market. And it's also, in a lot of cases, the government's using taxpayer dollars to, pr- to help some at the expense of others. That's not, that's not private property. That's public property. But those are the tools that are used that create these damages that people blame on capitalism. So, again, I, I, I'm kind of spitballing here a bit, but th- these are just basic concepts that I just really wish I learned as a young person because I think I would have been much better equipped as a young adult. And I really wish a lot of these concepts are taught in school. But a lot of cases, even in school today, capitalism is often taught as a negative it's often taught as, you know, the, we, the, the whole robber baron era um, of, of these evil capitalists that um, were damaging people during the Industrial Revolution. Well, the Industrial Revolution is a time when we should be celebrating. This is a time when there was massive wealth created, not just for the, the rich, but for the ordinary person, massive increase in the standard of living. There were planes and trains and automobiles were invented. We we. We crossed the continent. We we um, liberated people. They had opportunities to pursue their own happiness. To me, it's it's a time that should be looked upon extremely favorably. But in our schools today, it's often it's often um, disdained as an ugly time in American history. When I don't think that's true. Now, I'm not saying it was utopia. I mean, there was definitely problems, but overall, it was a good thing. I mean, we ended slavery during that time. That's a great thing. Um, Now, granted, there was, you know, as a nation, we needed to do better to help those that were enslaved to, you know, move into the economy, to move into society as people with equal rights, equality under the law. All humans are created equal. The nation failed at a lot of that. But still, it was a huge improvement over what existed before. I just wish those I just wish this was taught more and. Um, I wish I, I wish I really understood it more as a young person, because I think the decisions that I made in my, especially in my twenties, I think would have been very different. Um, I look at a lot of the decisions I made then, a lot of them were mostly out of fear, um, fear related to money and economics and things I didn't understand, um, rather than seeing the glass half full, seeing that there was unbelievable opportunity in front of me and I had an opportunity to do great things. I didn't really figure that out until later. Um, so I, you know, and, and speaking of great things like last night, you know, I'm watching TV and I don't know about you, but I was flipping channels. And by the way, I, I encourage your, um, your comments, your questions, your thoughts here on the live stream. Um, I'm just kind of rambling on a Friday and thanks for listening and joining me. Um, but by all means, ask me anything as we go through this. I was flipping stations last night, and of course, there were the two town halls, right? There's Trump was on NBC with Savannah Guthrie, and Biden was on ABC with George Stephanopoulos, and they're scheduled at the same time. And what a crock this is. I mean, they were supposed to have a debate, and and Trump, you know, ended up getting COVID, and then he decided that, oh, I'm a... Um, you know, oh, the, the, the Commission on Presidential Debates decided to do it as a 
virtual debate, like a Zoom call. And then Trump said, I don't want to do that. And I was thinking, Trump, you're an idiot. You're like down in the polls. You should be taking every opportunity to come after Biden, even if it's in a virtual forum. Um, But then once he backed out of it, Biden ended up making his own decision to go on to ABC. And then Trump goes on to NBC. And so we have these two dueling people. You don't get a chance to see them both. You have to pick one or the other. And so I'm flipping between each of those channels. And um, and then I'm also watching the baseball game. It was, uh, well, the first game was the Rays and the Astros. But then the second game was the Dodgers and the Braves. And this all ties together. And Kevin Kennedy says, I'm trying to work in less and good stuff so far. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate your support. Um, last night, I'm, I'm flipping between these two uh, town hall forums. And by this time, it was the Dodger and Braves game. And the Trump forum, you know, Trump is up there. And it seemed like a lot of the people that were in the circle around him were all big Trump supporters. It seemed like an orchestrated event for Trump. But Savannah Guthrie, you know, to her credit, she was digging and being curious and trying to learn more things and, you know, was referring to some of his tweeting like a crazy old uncle. That was kind of funny. But Trump, did you notice he was sweating a ton? And is that the lights or is he still sick from COVID or are there lingering effects from COVID? It was interesting questions. And then Biden in his town hall, he was very cool and calm, collected, um, much more reassuring at least in style, but you know, his policy positions give me, give me concern, but it was interesting seeing those two, but then I was flipping stations and I'm watching the Dodger game and Clayton Kershaw's pitching on that last night. And once again, <laughs> Clayton Kershaw completely flames out in the postseason. And it's funny how this works. And yeah, I was, I was, what's the word for it? It's a German word. And it's, was it Schadenfreude, uh, Schadenfreude? It's that, that, and this is really kind of a uh, evil thing where you you take joy in the failures of others. And I normally will never do this, but I'll tell you what. I was raised in San Francisco. My mother uh, brought me to the San Francisco Giants games at Candlestick Park. I remember going to bat day in 1972 when Willie Mays was playing for the Giants and they gave out wooden bats. As you entered the stadium, imagine that today. There's no way people would have these weapons in the stands. But I remember getting that. And I remember just back then, I mean, you just you hate the Dodgers. <laughs> you don't like the L.A. teams because the San Francisco L.A. rivalry. And then I have coming down here to go to college in San Diego at UCSD. And and then I go to the Padre game and it's the same thing. Right. Where, well, the Giants and Dodgers generally had a sort of on par battle during the seventies, the Dodgers were clearly the dominant team, but the Padres Dodgers battle is, you know, it's always been like big brother, little brother. And, uh, but the Padre fans didn't like the Dodgers either. So in both cases, I have been kind of programmed to always root against the Dodgers. And so then I see Clayton Kershaw blow up and I'm kind of chuckling a little bit and thinking, I'm wondering if the Dodgers are going to flame out again, but this all comes back to this idea of, of earning money. Do you know that Clayton Kershaw makes about $10,000 every time he throws one pitch? Now think about that. That's unbelievable. When he picks up the ball and throws it to the catcher, 10 grand, cha-ching, 
he might have an inning where he does really well. And in one inning, he only has 12 pitches. That would be really good. 12 or under pitches. So imagine throwing 12 pitches in one inning. You just made $120,000 that might have maybe spent five to six minutes on. <laughs> just think about that. And you might be thinking $10,000 a pitch. How is that even possible? Well, he makes, I'm going to use rough numbers here to make the math easy. He makes about $30 million a year, which is just amazing. And in a normal 162 game season, he would pitch probably 30 starts. You know, so there's usually five guys on a rotation, five times 30 is 150 is 162 games. So roughly 30 starts a season. So that means that $30 million a year, 30 starts a year, he makes a million dollars per start. And a starting pitcher, if they're having a really good game, will usually throw about a hundred pitches. If they're having a less than good game, you know, they might leave the game after 50 or 60 pitches. If they're really going strong, they might throw 110, 115 pitches, but rarely more than that. So Kershaw is a really good pitcher. He's one of the best in the league. He's, some would argue he is the best in the regular season. He's earning a million dollars a game. If you think he's getting, well, if you assume 100 pitches a game, that's $10,000 per pitch. That's unbelievable. And I mean, I'm, I did the actual math. He actually makes $31 million a year. Last year, he pitched in 29 games. Um, and if you assume 90 pitches a game for 29 games, he threw 2,610 pitches, which is $11,877 per pitch. So besides the fact that, to me, this is mind-blowing, this, I think, should represent to everyone here that's listening and watching this podcast that there is a unbelievable amount of opportunity that exists in this world, an unbelievable amount of money that is flowing through this economy. And you might think, oh, yeah, you know, Clayton Kershaw is like he, no one has the skills of Clayton Kershaw, you know. So how could he possibly anyone possibly live up to being as good as Kershaw? Poway Don chimes in. How many pitches does he make during practice? Yeah, I know. He throws in the bullpen. He you know, throws in, in, in practice in, in his bullpen sessions, pregame. He throws in spring training. I know. Maybe if you average it all out, he makes $5,000 a pitch. He makes a lot of money per pitch. And that's kind of my main point. How much time does, does he spend on the road away from his family? Yeah. Yeah. He, I'm not saying he's overpaid. I'm not saying that. I think he's paid exactly what's worth. And you might say, really? How could someone be worth $31 million a year? Well, he's worth $31 million a year because someone else is willing to pay him $31 million a year. They both, Kershaw and the Dodgers, reached mutual agreement. They both agreed that he's worth $31 million a year. You know, more power to him. Good for you, Clayton Kershaw. Um, I have no grudge with you at all. I think it's great that you're earning that money. But the point I'm making is, is that it, it, there is an insane amount of money that is available in this economy. It's unbelievable. And if you have skills and Kershaw has unbelievable skills, Kershaw is, um, you know, he is a first round draft pick by the Dodgers. He's been fantastic for a decade, but his skills have enabled him to earn a great deal of money. If you have skills, you can earn a great deal of money too. But a lot of times people don't want to put in the time to earn the skills. You know, they they'll 
they'll go in, they'll get a minimum wage job. They don't really have motivation or interest to really grow it. They don't develop skills. And then they wonder why they don't get paid very much. The, the opportunity to create, to build your skills, to build your resume and to make more and more money is insane. The, the opportunity that exists. It's just all a matter of just getting organized and having a strategy to do it. I'm not saying people are going to make $31 million a year. Some people might make more, but most will make less. Um, but the point is, is that just getting a tiny fraction of the economy to move in your direction can make a huge difference in the amount of money you earn. And I, I just think it's important to understand that. Um, sometimes we have such narrow tunnel vision on what opportunities exist in this world. The, you know, we, we think about our job, our hourly wage. Maybe we look in the classified section for job opportunities. We're going to job boards and look for opportunities. <laughs> Forgive me, classified section for, for employment. That sounds like a time warp from the 1970s. Um, excuse me. Um, I, going on to Indeed or other job boards or, you know, maybe even looking amongst, you know, your network of friends and family. There are opportunities there, but still, that's still such a tiny, narrow view of the opportunity that exists in this world. That's, again, why I think it's so important that our mindset changes, that our mindset doesn't think in terms of, I need a job. I got to do this job like it's a chore so I can earn enough money to live. And I know a lot of people, that's their life. But there's an opportunity to do it so much different, to incorporate yourself, to build a business. You can start it in your, in your house. That's what I did. I started this podcast in my house. You can start a business in your house. Just file the paperwork at the state. You get an S corporation. Boom, here you go. You're incorporated. Now, suddenly, a lot of the things that were normally costing you money out of your own individual pocket, you can use them as a business expense, write it off, and then have a lower um, taxable income. Like for me, my car, I pay for it with my business and it's a legitimate business expense. I use it to drive to my clients. I use it to drive to some of my vendors and to some of my prospective customers. Although there's a little bit less of that now with COVID. It's a legitimate business expense. My, um, my phone, legitimate business expense. There's a lot of things like that that I can take advantage of and play the game and to maximize my opportunity. But again, I think a lot of people don't think this way. Their mindset's not that way. They weren't taught that as a young person. And I really think those values need to be taught. But then we look at, um, you know, what happened last night with these two political candidates, Biden and Trump. Generally speaking, both of them want to limit you. Both of them want to control you in some way. In some ways, they want to maybe empower you a little bit, but at the expense of someone else. Or they want to tear you down to lift someone else up. You know, it's all this central planning, manipulation of the economy. In all of these cases, it's not really letting you be free. They might give you the illusion that you're free, but really they just want to control. They want to control the economy. Um, you know, in some cases, they want to use tax dollars to bail out companies bail out their own friends' companies. President Trump has a $500 billion slush fund that he can use for any company he wants. So they want to tax you 
so he can give money to them. Um, so there's a lot of that. There's, um, the, you know, regulation of business is tremendous. It's all about controlling people. Um, there's a trade war, right? The tariffs on imports from China cost you money, cost me money every time we buy a product. Or if we decide to buy the product that's made in America, it's more expensive. So either way, we're paying more money. Again, because of the way they manipulate the system. Uh, the immigration war is also control um, of people. Um, you know, even the recent news that came out today about the California wildfires. You know, we're, we're told, told over and over and over again that taxes are the price we pay for civilization. And part of that is FEMA, right? Part of that is, is emergency relief. And what has President Trump said? They're not going to offer relief for the California fires. You're thinking, well, whether or not, I mean, we can make an argument if the government should be an insurance agency for emergencies, which I, I don't think it should be in the first place. I mean, it just encourages people to, you know, build in dangerous areas. John Stossel did a whole thing on this one time about people that are building houses on stilts along the Gulf Coast so they can have this ocean property. And the minute a hurricane comes in, it gets blown out. They can't get insured by a regular private insurance company because it's a ridiculous risk. But then the government just insures them and pays for them over and over again at our expense. Um, But still, if the emergency agency exists, then it should be available for all emergencies, not just the ones these politicians pick and choose. Um, You even like, Biden, um, he, I went onto his website and it was interesting. It says the tale of two tax policies, reward wealth versus reward work. And I, you know, I understand that from his perspective, he's trying to like lift up the working class and the you other know, pointing at the wealthy and the evil wealthy people. And, you know, Trump, you know, his message, you know, is a, it's a mixed bag as well, but why, why are they pitting us against each other? You know, the working class and the wealthy class, you know, they want to tear one down to lift one up. Why, why is it a case where why can't we reward both? Why isn't there an example where we have a political candidate that will reward both wealth and work rather than having us pick and choose between the two? So again, I look, we get all hung up on the politics of it all, but the politicians are the ones that are, restricting our ability. They're the ones that are telling us that, that Uber shouldn't be um, a private contract, independent contractor, those drivers, they want to prohibit that. That's just one example. But they, what they're trying to do is limit you, control you when really we should be empowering ourselves, freeing our mind, changing our mindset to take advantage of the incredible opportunities that exist all around us rather than being told and banged over the head that we're being oppressed. Now, sure, some people are being oppressed, and I can make a list of a lot of those, but the, we need to look at it from a glass half full perspective, that we need to have the optimistic viewpoint, because when we do that, that's how the people at the bottom are going to be lifted up. That's how the people in the middle are going to be lifted up as well. You, know, you ever hear, this is an interesting stat, that people will comment that, oh, we have a shrinking middle class. The middle class is is disintegrating, it's shrinking as though it's a terrible thing, right? But if you look at the data, the reason the middle class is shrinking, and it is, not a lot, but it is shrinking, it's because more people are getting rich than people are becoming poor. 
Now think about that. More people are going from middle class to rich than are going from middle class to poor. That's a great message. More people are going up because so when we see here the middle class is, is shrinking, that's in that context, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Then we just need to ask ourselves, why are some people going down? Why don't we figure out policies that lift them up or allow themselves to be lifted up, to allow themselves to have the mindset to be an independent contractor, an entrepreneur, someone that can make money for themselves rather than being a slave to the man where they're earning money at a wage that they don't like. So I, I just think that there's an opportunity to do this. So um, to change the way we think. So, I, you know, am I going to write a book? Maybe. I mean, it's something I'm thinking about. But if I do, this is a chapter <laughs> and I'm going to go way deeper on it because I, I think there's a lot to be learned from this. I think there are lessons that I wasn't taught as a young person. And I'm confident that a lot of other people aren't taught these things, that you can buy time that the objective of earning money or making money isn't to spend it. It's to keep it. That's the ultimate scorecard is to keep the money so you can build the wealth. So in the future, you don't have to work so that you can be free so that you can have, um, you can be unshackled. That's the whole point is to earn wealth and build your nest egg um, so that you can, you can buy time. But so many of us are so concerned about what the other guy has, keeping up with the Joneses, spending money and all this stuff. I'm doing the opposite. I'm getting rid of stuff. I'm subtracting. I'm throwing things out, recycling things, giving things away. In some cases, selling some things to limit myself, to minimize myself and to really tell myself this is what I should have done a long time ago. Is lived a more... Frugal sounds like a more of a miserly word, but, but living a more streamlined life so that I was even, I mean, I do a great deal of saving already, but I could have done more. And I think that would have put me and I'm in a okay spot now, but it could have made my spot better. If I had this mindset when I was young, I, I finally did start saving money back when I, I mean, more aggressively before in my early 20s and my mid 20s, you know, you're not making a lot of money coming out of college. I would save a little bit of money, but it was more like a temporary like bucket of money that I was saving for a thing or just saving for a rainy day, but it was never very much. But then when um, my employer that I went to work for in 1993, I think, had a 401k plan and they had a match to that 401k. Oh my God. I mean, that's when I really started to figure a lot of this out. It's like, oh my God, that that human resources office down the hallway there is giving away free money. <laughs> and um, you just have to, you know, put a certain percentage of your pre-tax dollars into this account and they will match it. Now we had a really attractive match program. I, I think it was like a hundred percent of the first 4% and 50% of the next 4%. So essentially you could get 6% of your own money for free. Um, I mean, not, not, not your own money. You can get it like essentially like a 6% raise. They were just handing it out. And I remember talking to my employees about this saying, go down the hallway, sign the piece of paper and they will give you free money and they wouldn't do it. 
because they wouldn't, they were too short-sighted. They didn't understand the whole concept of building wealth. And I tried to teach it and it didn't work. But the one thing that I learned, I'm very proud of this is one of my buddies for that company worked in the IT department. This is a company about 500 employees. And this is in the nineties. And he said that we can, and he would did the, he did the software program for the payroll and all this other stuff. They used me as their test case because I was one of only a few employees that maxed out my 401k uh, investment because the maximum I could do, I can't remember the numbers, but it was like 15% of your uh, pre-tax income. And I just did the maximum. So I was not only able to maximize the free money, but I was also able to maximize the tax-free um, aspect of the 401k. And he said, yeah, only a few people did it. And I was amazed. I was thinking, oh my God, there's 500 people in this company. And I understand that a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck and they can't afford it, but there's still a lot of like executives that make a ton of money in this company. Why am I only one of a few that is maximizing my 401k? Um, that's, and I'll, I'll credit my wife for that. She was the one that really encouraged me to do it because she had done it. And she had gotten good advice from a financial advisor. So it was really good. Uh, Jamie Tobit just joined. Sorry, I just joined. Can we start over? Well, Jamie, we're talking about earning money. We're talking about making money. We're talking about how young people learn about money and the lessons I wish I learned when I was a young person. Um, Learn, talking about the economy today and the unbelievable amounts of opportunity exists and how people have to shift their mindset to take advantage of that opportunity. We talked about Clayton Kershaw making $10,000 a pitch. <laughs> Although Poway Don would say it's a lot less because he throws pitches in practice and Poway Don is right. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, 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 there's so much we could learn. Um, just a few more things. You know, we're like here at a roughly an hour. Um, I, I, I'm still thinking about that Eddie Van Halen article. And I talked about this in my last podcast where my friend Gino share, shared an article about the passing of Eddie Van Halen and how his passing was so moving and, and he had such a great impact on people and making, you know, their lives happier, inspiring uh, people to go into music, to be guitar players, um, giving them great joy in their life. And the music and, and everything that he shared filled other people up. And how a lot of this overflowing of uh, memories and positive energy is happening after he's gone. And the article that I read in Inc. Magazine, if you look it up, just look up Inc., I-N-C, and Eddie Van Halen, you'll find the article. There, we have an opportunity to find people in our lives that exist and are still alive now and tell them that we, we believe that you were really important in my life. You made a difference in my life. You are someone worthy of praise and love, and you did this for me and made my life better. I shared my example of my 10th grade geometry teacher in the last podcast. I'm working on making that list. Um, and I want to go out and reach out to those people and hopefully they're still existing. Hopefully they're still alive. Hopefully I can find them. Facebook will hopefully give me that opportunity. That's one of the great things about Facebook and social media, but I've been really thinking about that article. And I, I hope that you're thinking about that too. It is, is a very powerful message that 
we need to express how important people are in our lives while they're still alive. Cause we're all, we all want love. We all want praise. We all want to feel good about ourselves. And it feels so good when someone comes up to us and tells us we're doing a good job. We've made a difference. Um, I, I know speaking for myself, I'm very much more now than I was 20 years ago, offering praise to other people that I work with that make big differences. Um, one of my clients, uh, the person that manages their social media does a really good job and I'm constantly praising her and I can tell it fuels her fire and makes a big difference for her. Um, we need to be doing more of that. Um, and that, that article from Eddie Van Halen, I think was really cool. So, um, I may, I may end up doing a, a podcast about it, but, um, yeah. So you got more thoughts, you know, reach out to me on social media. I love the conversation. I love the dialogue. I mean, that's the reason I'm doing this podcast. Um, but I'm still figuring, trying to figure out ways to monetize. I'm trying to use this podcast is to change my mindset and see how I can make this a financial opportunity for myself. And I'm kind of figuring it out. And, you know, like I said, I've got other sources of income, other revenue streams. I'm trying to create another revenue stream that I think can make my life better and give me more power and control over my life, more work life balance and set me up better. So as I go down that path, I'll share it with you. Now I do have this final quote in every pot solo podcast. I share a closing quote, and this is a really good one. This is from Joe Jorgensen. Now I've talked a little bit about her, Joe, I think, is it Josephine or Joanna? I can't recall, but um, Joe Jorgensen, not Joe Biden, Joe Jorgensen, is a candidate for president. You're like, who is she? I've never heard of her. Well, she's the the Libertarian Party candidate. And they're on the ballot in all 50 states. And in my opinion, she should be on the debate stage. When Trump didn't chose not to be in the debate or because he was sick and he backed out, they should have had Joe Jorgensen debate Joe Biden. That's what they should have done, but they didn't. But anyway, she had this bit on Twitter that she shared that was really, really good. And it's also consistent with a lot of the things I'm talking about, about, um, about capitalism, about, about opportunity, about earning money and making money and, and creating more happiness and joy in our lives. So listen to this. If this is Friday, right? So this is about beer. We're going to talk about beer. All right. So George Jorgensen said in 1977, there were just 44 breweries in the United States, just 44. The beer situation was so bad that there was a black market for the luxury beer Coors. And I think I've learned since then, I think Coors was on the black market because it wasn't pasteurized, right? The way that they bottled it was different. And so it was only available in certain states because other state regulations prevented that beer from being sold in their own states. Coors, the banquet beer from, from Colorado. But Jimmy Carter, you know, President Jimmy Carter, you know, we're, I'm talking 1977. Jimmy Carter set the hops free in 1978 when he signed a law allowing limited home brewing. Now think about that. It was illegal to brew your own beer. Now, I guess this is probably leftover laws from the days of moonshining, but it was illegal to, to brew your own beer. This small piece of deregulation by Jimmy Carter, when the, when the limits were lifted, people were free to choose and the beer flourished. 
People were making beer. And then suddenly there's a whole industry that comes up. The, there's the craft beer industry. And in here in San Diego County, we've got untold number of craft beer uh, companies like Stone Brewery and, and Ballast and, and, and a long list of other, other companies that are upstarts and smaller. And there's Lightning Brewery here in Poway. It's amazing. But think about that. A long time ago, this was illegal. Because of the regulations, the power and control of government was limiting people like you or me from pursuing our own happiness, starting our own business, being an entrepreneur. For some people, brewing beer is something they love to do, but it was illegal. It's just a bit of a side story. I remember out of college, one of my college buddies um, was living with his girlfriend and he was, this is probably 1989, and he was making his own beer. And he had actually gotten a, he didn't have a keg. He got one of those tall, narrow canisters that you see like behind a Coke machine, you know, that has the syrup. So it's like tall and narrow. And he took all the shelves out of his refrigerator and put this in the center of the refrigerator and then stacked all the cheese and the lettuce and the eggs and all the milk all around it. And his, and we were, I was saying, man, your girlfriend must love you. <laughs> but he was making his own beer and it was really, really good. And so Joe Jorgensen went on to say, it was like a three-part tweet. She said, when the limits were lifted, people were free to choose and the beer flourished. But the media, that fourth estate that's supposed to report on all the news has told you, that you have to choose between Bud and Coors. Now, this is a little bit of a, she's using this as an analogy that this whole election is between Biden and Trump. And she's a third party candidate. She's trying to break through. But they kind of always tell you, you got to pick from Coke and Pepsi. You got to pick from Budweiser or Coors when there's this unlimited number of supply of other opportunities that are frankly better than butter course. Um, we're here to tell you we have another choice this election, a choice of rational freedom and true liberty. We ask that you make the choice for all your freedoms all the time and to vote for Jorgensen. So again, whether or not you agree with Joe Jorgensen, many of you probably have no idea who she is. The point I'm being, bringing up is there's tremendous opportunity that is available, but a lot of times the things that prevent us start with our own mindset that we can't wrap our mind around some of the opportunity, the, the options that are available. But in other cases, there are coercive forces like government that limit people. And in this case, beer. And so it's funny, like I look back in my life and I was born in the mid sixties and I look at every president that has existed and you kind of think who was the best president. And in many cases I would say, it's more a question of who was the least worst. Uh, Matthew Brannigan says, America was famous in the 70s as making the world's worst beer. Now we have a reputation of being one of, if not the best. Yeah, of course. You know, the beer is now great. You know, I know, um, wasn't Stone Brewery was opening up uh, um, breweries in Germany, um, which is a big deal. Um, but at any rate, um, I look back at my life and I look at the presidents that exist and that people will tell you Trump is the best or Trump was the worst. And same with Obama. And I look at these presidents and I think it's a question of who was the least worst, because <laughs> all of them were bad to varying degrees, in my opinion. You could argue that Ford might have been the least worst because he did the least amount of damage. Granted, he was only president for a couple of years, and that's probably why. But Jimmy Carter, I think now, again, I'm I was raised as a Democrat and I voted 
for Mondale and Dukakis in 84 and 88. But I'm very much opposed to a lot of the Democratic policies and politicians today. But still, I always think Jimmy Carter got a bad rap. Um, Jimmy Carter is a good guy. I mean, he is probably one of the most decent human beings to be president that we've certainly had in my lifetime, if not in American history. Um, Jimmy Carter made some mistakes. Um, Jimmy Carter didn't handle the Iran crisis well. There was economic issues with Jimmy Carter with inflation and gas wars and gas prices. But a lot of that was largely because of the Fed and you know, taking money off the gold standard and manipulating interest rates. And a lot of that was was driven by Federal Reserve policies. But still, I still think Jimmy Carter got a bad rap. I think, you know, Israel and Egypt had a peace policy. I mean, I remember seeing the picture. Was it what was his name? Was it Momar Sadat? I think it was the president of Egypt. And and was it um, and who was the he was the picture with the the Israeli president, if I recall when Israel and Egypt had a peace accord. I mean, that's a big deal. Back then, those two were at war. Um, and I don't recall there's been very much conflict between Israel and Egypt now. Israel's conflicts seem to be mostly with other nations. I'm sure some of it exists with Egypt, but to a far lesser degree. But Jimmy Carter deregulated, deregulated the beer industry and has allowed us to experience all these beers, all these options. This is capitalism where businesses are free to start up and to do so without coercion from the government. Now, granted, it's alcohol, so there is coercion. There's going to be regulation, but at least it's not illegal. And and now there's businesses that are making, you know, craft spirits. Um, you know, and I went to one. What was the name of the poem? They, they, is it? Uh, I'm going to. Steel water. I'm getting the name wrong, but they always advertise in the Padre games and they have a facility off Miramar road. That's beautiful. Um, and, uh, you can go there for lunch or dinner and they make their own spirits there. It's really good. But a lot of this wasn't possible then, but Carter deregulated. He also deregulated the trucking industry and the airline industry. And that made those services much less expensive. There was more competition. As a result, prices went down, less manipulation of the market. We as consumers have greatly enjoyed that. Um, airline prices are, oh, Cutwater. That's it. Thank you, Kev. And Poway Don. Cutwater. That is exactly the name. And if you've ever been to their place, it's beautiful. Yeah, their Moscow mule is delicious. I went there for a lunch and I was with my client, so I wasn't drinking, but I told my wife about it and I said, we need to go there. But, you know, with COVID and everything, I, I'm not sure when they're open, but that is a beautiful place. And yeah, they make their own spirits. And I know Ballast Point has been making their own spirits. That's a great thing, man. This should be celebrated. This is beautiful. This is capitalism. This is liberty. People making money, doing what they love to do and doing so by making products that make other people happy. This is fantastic. This should be celebrated. Um, but yet, um, you know, government is preventing it. And now, you know, now it's alcohol is becoming less regulated, which is good. And but now, you know, marijuana is a whole other thing. So I won't go down that rabbit hole. But I, I just thought this was a great quote from jo Jorgensen. I mean, she's basically saying, you know, Jimmy Carter deregulated the beer industry. Deregulation is good. I mean, anytime you bring up deregulation, other people flip out and think you want to poison the air and the water. And that's not what I'm talking about when I say deregulation. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about not having a marketplace that's rigged for Anheuser-Busch, where their competition is illegal. That is the regulations that we need to tear down. And, and the whole idea of more choice, more freedom, 
more entrepreneurship, more opportunity, we're all better off for that. Every one of us, the producers and the consumers are better off for that as long as you do so safely. Um, and, and I think she brings up a fair analogy. You know, it's Coke or Pepsi is what's presented in the presidential debates. Um, Coors and, and, and Budweiser are what's presented when there's a lot of other choices that are getting shut down and are not available. So, okay. You know, when I started doing this podcast episode and, you know, I, I do this, I make my notes about what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to go for 30 minutes and now it's an hour and 19. So um, please come back Monday at two. We'll have Barry Leonard, Poway city councilman, the incumbent. Um, He's been in office now, I think for six, no, maybe five years. So he was appointed, served out a partial term and then was reelected for a four year term. Um, We'll have Barry Leonard on and he'll share. And I'm really happy he's, he's joining us because he is the final piece of the puzzle of the candidates that are running for Poway city council and Poway school board that will be joining us here on the John Riley project. And we'll have a really good conversation and we'll be taking your questions and comments. So please join us Monday, the 19th at 2 PM. And our guest will be Poway city councilman, Barry Leonard. Um, okay, friends, uh, this is episode 177. Happy Friday. Um, and uh, I'm rooting for a Tampa Rays Atlanta Braves World Series. And, uh, and actually I'm rooting for uh, Manuel Margot and Hunter Renfro who are doing really well for the, the race. So I'm hoping they have a really good, you know, American League Championship Series and a World Series. I think that would be terrific. So we get a little bit of Padre love in there in our own way. So anyways, friends, we'll see you later. Um, have a great weekend and we'll be back at you on Monday. Bye-bye.